0: final week of our series, Prophets of Doom. And you know, it goes right along with this whole, you know, Halloween, October, kind of doom and gloom and, you know, and and as we've spent, you know, this is week four of the series, we've been looking into the minor prophets. And as we've been looking at them, you know, understand they're not minor prophets like the JV team, you know, you don't have varsity and JV They're the minor prophets because their prophecy and their books are smaller or have less in them than actually the major prophets. And and so we've spent time, we were in Jonah, and we saw in Jonah how, you know, Jonah wasn't all about that grace and that thanksgiving that God had for him. He was more about God's wrath on people that he didn't care about. And, And we find ourselves in that same situation where. Hey God, thanks for your grace, thanks for your mercy, thank you for your forgiveness, but man, God, I'm upset with them, so you should be upset too, you know, so go ahead and just just bring your wrath on them because that's what they deserve in my eyes, you know, we kind of think that same way. Then we were in the book of Joel, and we kind of looked at if if we really want to see that revival that we know we need, not only in our own hearts, but within the body of Christ and within this world, that we need to kind of change our own ways first and, and get back to what God calls us to do. And of course, last week we were in the book of Micah. Um, a lot of people were gone. You know, Micah was not only the sound guy, he was the worship guy. I tried to get Micah to preach on Micah, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, I, I think it would have been pretty cool for Micah to come up here and say the gospel according to me. Or, but anyways, so so last week in Micah, we saw that even in dark times, God shows up. And even in dark times of our own life, God shows up and this week we're going to be in the book of Obadiah. And you're probably going, Obadiah? Where's that at? Who? Who's Obadiah? Well, Obadiah is actually the shortest of all the prophecies. It's only 21 verses. And guess what? We're going to read all 21 verses. But there's 21 verses in the book of Obadiah. And some of the things that we're going to see is, you know, as we talk about prophets of doom, Obadiah is a prophet of doom. He's a prophet of doom for those who work against the people of God, and his prophecy is exactly that, people who are working against the people of God, and that God may give them this season of victory, but their ultimate destruction is going to come. Their destruction is going to come when God is ready to do it. And I think the other thing we're going to see in this book is, and really our takeaway is, God takes the relationships between family members very seriously. So uh, the prophecy of Obadiah has already partially been fulfilled, as you'll see as we go through reading it today. Um, So it's neat when you're able to look back at God's word and you're able to say, man, look, this has already come to fruition. So it can help us to guess what? The rest of it's coming. The rest of it is going to be here. Read the book of Revelation. Look in the news today. You, you see it all working itself out. But, but part of this prophecy has already been fulfilled. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Obadiah. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew in front of you. And in the back of the pew in front of you, it is on page 1065. But as always, it is going to be up here on the screen. So do me a favor. Everyone stand up for the reading and the hearing of God's word. And do me a favor. Read with me. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Lord God has said about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let us go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, what can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. If thieves come to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged would you be? Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, wouldn't they leave some grapes? How Esau will be pillaged, his hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. He will be unaware of it in the day. This is the Lord's declaration. Will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the foothill country of Esau? Teman, your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. You will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. On the day you stood aloof On the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in the day of distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you. Do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster. And do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives. And do not hand over their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. As you have drunk in my holy mountain... So all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But there will be deliverance of Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be like a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survivor will remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who were in Halah, and who are among the Canaanites, as far as Zaphath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of Negev. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. Amen. Man, that's a lot, isn't it? Yes, it is. Wow. But you know, there is something about standing and reading and hearing the Word of God. Uh, When we started a couple weeks back, what, about four weeks back, um, I remember it was that reality of, man, I remember doing this as a kid. And and there's something about giving reverence to God as you read His Word. And and not only the reading, but the hearing of His Word. And and, and as we have read through the book of Obadiah, you probably heard some names that you probably remember. Esau, Jacob, Edom. Well, basically, Obadiah is the culmination of a long, ongoing family feud. It's a family feud that started way back in the book of Genesis, and it continued all the way up through into the New Testament. And, and, and it's a sad story, and, and really, if you've got to recall it, you've got to take time, and I'd encourage you, go back and read Genesis 25. Uh, In Genesis 25, verses 21 through 34, you actually see the story of Esau and Jacob. And and then, of course, if you move on in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 14 through 21, it actually talks about Edom's refusal to allow Moses to pass through and the Israelites to pass through. Now, we'll cover a little bit of it, but I want to encourage you, take time and go back and and read through it, because it gives you the full gist of what really happened and what Obadiah was actually prophesying for. And, and you think about it, just to go back and, back in Genesis 25, uh, you see Isaac pleading to the Lord. He's pleading to the Lord for, on behalf of his wife, Rebekah. Uh, Rebekah couldn't have children, so Isaac went to the Lord and, and Lord, yeah, asked him for Rebekah to get pregnant, and she actually does get pregnant. She gets pregnant with twin boys. And, and and while she's pregnant, you know the, the boys are being boys, and, and they're even tussling inside inside the womb. There's a, issues with them inside the womb, and, and she's really wonders about it. And she actually asks the Lord, and and Lord, what is going on? You know, you've given me this child. You allow me to bear children, and, and there's something going on. And and actually, God tells her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From their very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation's going to be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve the younger son. And, and this continued this battle between Esau and, and Jacob to the point that even when Esau was born first, when they pulled Esau out, Jacob was holding on to his heel. He wasn't about to let go. He didn't want to give up. He continued his battle on. And then what happened as they grew up, Esau kind of became this outdoorsman. You know, he was a hunter. He was a provider. He was outside. And Jacob, Jacob kind of enjoyed being at home and was very even-tempered or even-keeled. So they were total opposites. So you can tell they definitely weren't identical twins. Uh, And and there were total opposites in what they did. And then one day Esau comes home from being out hunting. And Esau is tired. He's exhausted. And here Jacob is making some red stew. And when Esau comes in, he's hungry, he's famished. And and he basically, he, he tells Esau, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted and it actually says in that part of Scripture, at that point his name was changed to Edom, which means red. So, of course, Jacob, hey, you want some of this good stew? I know you're hungry. I know you're tired, but give me your birthright. And you think about being the firstborn. In biblical times, being the firstborn male meant you got the bigger inheritance. Everything, with, you know, you're the one who, you were the, going to be the next patriarch of the family. You were going to be the one to take the family and continue going. So here we see Esau, for some red stew, gives up his birthright. He gives up his birthright, and, and, you know, it says his name got changed to Edom at that time. Well, as you read through the story, you also see that Jacob gets a name change. As Jacob's actually going to meet Esau and to try and ask for that forgiveness from everything that's been going on, he spends the night wrestling with God. And God then changes his name to Israel because of the simple fact where he is one who wrestles or one that strives with God. And then, of course, Esau's name got changed to Edom, which simply means red. Now, what I find interesting is Esau gave up his birthright for something temporal. Something that made no sense whatsoever. He could have went and made his own food. He could have went and whatever it was, he gave up his birthright for something temporal. And I get to thinking about how many temporary things in our own life do we give up what God calls us to do or for us to be for some simple satisfaction in the now. And I think we kind of get caught up, well, well, I really like this, so I want to get this now and not think about what it's going to mean for us in the future. And that's exactly what you see with Esau. He was worried about right now. I'm hungry. I need something to eat. I don't care about the future. I don't care about any of this. I'm good. Just give me something to eat. And we need to make sure we don't fall into the same thing. You see, Esau thought sought the things of the world. He he looked at the things of the world, and and, and the worst thing is, even after all of this, out of spite, when when Esau left, he actually married daughters of the family of Ishmael. So he actually married outside the the. The family, outside of everyone else, went to what would be their enemies and took themselves wives and started his family with enemy of the family. So from the very beginning, he just, it was, I'm done, I'm moving my own way. And I think the differences between these two brothers, it created division for generation to generation. It continued on for, for many, many years after that. Um, Esau would actually take his family and they would live in the hill country which is now called Petra Um, and basically it's these high rock mountains if you've ever been to Israel it's these high rock mountains and it's um, it's like this big entrance way into the the whole trade zone went through these mountains and and so they were powerful they had these armies they kind of controlled the trade route going through and, and so they They had power to go with everything that they had. And the scripture records that there was also a great deal of interaction, both between the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom or the Edomites. As a matter of fact, like I mentioned, in, in Numbers, you see Moses, as they were going across and they were heading towards Canaan, they came upon Edom. And they asked the Edomites, King, hey, can we pass through because it's going to be safer travel. It's going to be kind of a shorter travel. Can we travel through your country to to get to the other side? And they said no. So then they even came back out and said, look, we're your brothers. Don't you remember Esau, Jacob, we're brothers. We're from the same clan. Help us to go through. They actually sent soldiers out to run the Israelites off and would not allow them to take the easy route. They would not allow them to go through it. And, you know, I think of this and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Esau and Jacob kind of made up. In Scripture, Esau went. Now, of course, he sent everyone before him, but, but uh, Jacob sent everyone before him, but Esau accepted them, And I was like, well, you mean there was still this much animosity? Where... Esau, yeah, I, I accept you, brother. You're, you're still my brother. But on the other side, still had that hatred. Still had that something inside of him just stirring up from, from way back over some red stew where he gave up his birthright. And, and it continued to fester that it even after the death of both of them, it continued to fester for generations and generations where they hated the Israelite nation; they wouldn't allow them to go through Canaan. Even in the Book of Kings and the Book of Chronicles, they, they actually uh, talk about and record when the Philistines and the Arabians and the Assyrians you know, attacked Israel, that the Edomites actually laughed. They found joy in the fact that Israel was overtaken by the Babylonians found joy that the Assyrians and the Arabians, that everyone came in, they took it. And actually in Obadiah verses 12 through 14, it kind of talks about that. It talks about how they gloated, how they rejoiced, how they even looted Jerusalem. But these were supposed to be brothers. There were supposed to be clans that came together. They were supposed to be family. But this hatred, this unforgiveness, this bitterness... They celebrated every time Israel fell instead of standing up for them. I read a quote that said, Bitterness took root in the depths of the heart of Esau. The tree of bitterness grew greater and stronger with each generation. The fruit of bitterness was a poison consuming people and lives. Warren Wiersbe actually said this, Bitterness refers to a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. And I found an unknown author of a quote that said, Bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. Now now as you consider this, as we look back at the, the prophecy from Obadiah, and you look at these 21 simple verses, it kind of really gives you backstory for what Obadiah is saying. Obadiah was actually probably one of the first prophets who wrote. Actually, wrote this to the Edomites. Um, He probably wrote it in wrote it while in Judea, and he delivers this brief, straightforward, very straightforward and powerful message to the people of Edom. Here's what's coming. This is the declaration of the Lord. This is what's coming. And every time I think of Edom and I look at this, I just say, man, that's like Proverbs 16, 18. They lived out. Pride goes before destruction. And haughtiness before the fall. Because that's exactly what the Edomites were. They had all this pride that they gloated. They laughed. They didn't care what was happening to their brother Israel because they didn't care. They had all this pride. They had the... Their hill country. They're up on the side of the mountains. No one could get to them. So they thought, and they just thought they had it made. Now, to give you more backstory on, like I said, part of this has already been fulfilled. Inside the Believer's Bible commentary, it says this. Edom was later controlled by Assyria and Babylon. And in the 5th century B.C., the Edom- Edomites were forced by the Nabataeans to leave their territory. They moved to the area of southern Palestine and became known as Indomians. Herod the Great was an Indomian. And if you know anything about Herod the Great, he became the king of Judah in Rome around 37 BC. So in a sense, the anonymity between Esau and Jacob was continued when Herod attempted to murder Jesus. The Edomians participated in the rebellion of Jerusalem against Rome and were defeated along with the Jews by Titus in AD 70. Ironically, the Edomites applauded the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC, but they actually died trying to defend it in 70 BC, and after that time were never heard of again. As Obadiah predicted, they would be cut off forever and there would be no survivors remaining from the house of Esau. God's word coming totally to fruition. Now, like I said, this is part of it. There's other parts of it that haven't, but I really got to thinking about this and I'm like, you know, the Edenites had to be saying, well, you know, kind of like back in Genesis with Cain and Abel. When Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, they should have been. Do you think the Edomites should have been watching out for Israel? Do you think maybe when all these other countries attacked, they should have helped them? More than likely, yeah. I would say yeah. Because that's what we do as brothers and sisters, right? We watch out for each other. Even if we don't get along, we watch out for each other. One of the things I can always remember growing up where you know, three sisters and, and me as the only boy. Man, my you know, my sisters would always get on me about something. But let someone do something more than my sisters. It was on. It was on. It was like, I don't care what I have to do, I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to do whatever it is. You know, raising our own kids. My son knows Dalton, don't mess with his sisters. I may he may not get along with his sisters all the time. But man, don't cross one of his sisters. Because Dalton's named Bull for a reason. He's coming. But we all do the same thing. And sometimes we get so caught up like the Edomites. Oh, well. That's their problem. It's not my problem. And we see that not only in our families. We see it within the church. The small C, this church. The big church. You know, the body of Christ. Well, we'll do the same thing and ask him, i my brother's keeper. When we see someone going astray, when we see someone struggling, and if we got a little riff against them, then do we actually come and help them? or come, Oh, that must be judgment from God. Better them than, than me. You know, it's that reality. And, but what should we do? We should be there for each other. We should be there to help each other in every situation. Now, granted, sometimes it's hard to help. But sometimes the best help you can give someone is just to listen. Pray with them. Pray for them. Take that time to be with them. You know, as we look at this, you kind of look at it talks about all nations in verse 15. So where I said it was partially come through, yes. The clan of Esau is no more. But it says all nations. So when it says all nations, it's more than just the Edomites. It's more than just Esau. All nations goes back to Adam. It goes back to the sin that's in this world. It goes back to every one of us. And it says there will be no survivors. The gavel comes down, and God states, I am. The Lord have spoken. That sounds pretty final, don't it? I, the Lord, have spoken. Is it just, I think it is? Will it be? Oh, it definitely will be. It will definitely come a time. And what's interesting here is as I look through this, and anyway, as you read Obadiah, he's not the only prophet who prophesized against Edom. In the book of Joel chapter three, verse 19. It says, "But Egypt will become a wasteland, and Edom will become a wilderness, because they attacked the people of Judah and killed innocent people in their land. Even in Amos one eleven, this is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished." They chased down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually and were unrelenting in their anger. And in Malachi 1.4, Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we have been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's army replies, they may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is very angry. The final verse in this scripture speaks of restoration. It, it speaks of God restoring Israel. And we know God is a God who restores. God gives, gives a place of refuge to those in need. God gives the land of Edom and its possessions to all of Israel. Uh, we see the people return and we see God restore Jerusalem. That part's still to come. But one thing that we know is as long as there's this bitterness, we need to understand that that bitterness imprisons our life. It it imprisons us. It puts us in in jail with giving someone else the key. But love releases it. Love is what releases that bitterness from us. Bitterness uh, can paralyze your life when you're just bitter and you're upset. Sometimes you just feel like you can't move. Well, love breaks those chains. Love will allow you to continue to move. Love releases you from that and empowers you over being paralyzed. Bitterness can make you sick. Love heals you. Bitterness can blind you, but love opens your eyes. We need to look to the love side instead of that bitterness side in our own lives. I read a quote that said, God conveyed his heart for unity in Proverbs but he demonstrated it at the cross. I can't help but think when Jesus, before Jesus went to the cross, we know Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. But before Jesus went to the cross, he actually prayed for you and for I. He prayed for us in John chapter 17, verses 22, 20 to 23. It says this, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You see, God restores. God restores broken homes. God restores broken marriages. God restores broken friendships, broken hearted people, restores broken individuals, and most importantly, He changes sinners into saints. He allows that brokenness that's inside of us and He changes it from being sinners into saints. And last weekend, actually, one of the talks I gave on the, the retreat weekend, I actually said, you know, as we think of a saint, a saint isn't someone who just walks around all day mumbling prayers with their head down, wearing sackcloth, walking around. That's not a saint. A saint is a sinner who has been saved. A saint is a sinner who has been forgiven. And that's what we get in Jesus Christ. That's what we got right here. He prayed for us that we would know him. And he prayed to take our brokenness in ourselves and turn us into be who he called us to be. God restores. If you think about your own life, God has restored each one of us. And he willingly went to the cross on Calvary to restore our brokenness in us. So as you think about that, what right do we have to hold a grudge? We really don't, do we? But man, it's fun to hold on to a grudge, isn't it? Man, it's fun, man. Oh, I'm just mad. I can't believe on July 2nd, 1935, you did this to me. <laughs> I wasn't going lie to that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You bring it up out of the woodwork. Man, I remember on this day, I remember you said this, and this is what you were wearing. All of a sudden, we all have this Sheldon mentality. We photogenic. We remember everything. Some of us better than others. And all of a sudden, it's like, what? I don't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday. But let me tell you, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember this one time when John did this. Well, I remember when Mike did this. We'll hold on to that and we'll put it back up in someone's face instead of doing what we've been given. We've been given forgiveness, right? Yeah. Or we kind of do like Esau did for Jacob. I forgive you, brother, but, and we put that butt in there and you know, when we put the but in there, it gets in the way, but, but, and that's what we do. Oh, I forgive you, but, and then we still hold on to this grudge and, and we still hold on to this hatred or this unforgiveness and, and. All it does is stir up inside of us. It it creates this hate. It creates this sin. It creates this this ugly person inside of us. And guess what happens? Sooner or later, that ugliness comes out. And it's going to come out to family. It's going to come out to friends. It's going to come out to loved ones. Guess who it's going to come out to? People that don't deserve it. Not the person who you may be holding that unforgiveness against, it's going to come out against anyone else. And that person you're holding unforgiveness about, guess what? They're living their life. And guess what? They don't care. They're living their life because guess what? They're doing their life. They're living their life. And, and you said, oh, I forgive you, but you really didn't. We've got to give that forgiveness. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about Obadiah. There is a lesson for us in this powerful brief book of Obadiah. God takes the relationship between brothers seriously. Oh, may we be a people, a church, a family, known for our love for one another and our unity as the family of God. As the family of God. In Proverbs 6, verse 16, moving forward, it says this. The Lord hates six things. Seven are detestable to him: arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. There's actually many different um, versions that instead of saying one who stirs up, it says one who brings discord. To the family. So what's the lesson for us? God takes a relationship between family members seriously, and not just biological family members. Members within the body of Christ, family members within your workplace, whatever it is. So who are you holding a grudge against? Who are you holding that grudge against? Are you holding some animosity against someone or against something? Within the body of Christ. Are we doing something that's detestable to the Lord? Think about it. Haughty eyes. Pride. Proudful look. Looking down upon somebody else. about a lying tongue? We all know what that is, right? Shedding of innocent blood. Well, Pastor, I ain't killed no one today. Okay. Well, that's good. But, but, But you think about it. Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've committed murder. So have you shed innocent blood? Now you may say, well, pastor, it's only 1144, not yet. Notice I say not yet. You still got to drive and go eat. You still got to spend the rest of your day with somebody. Odds are you're probably going to get mad. You might even get to shedding innocent blood. How about eager to run to evil? A heart that creates wicked plans. Lying witness, false testimony, fault witness who breathes out lies, even half-truths, or one who stirs up trouble. And as I said, many versions say one who spreads discord or one who spreads rumors. Detestable to God. Detestable to God. And we get caught doing it. God takes relationships serious. We need to take relationships serious. Don't get caught up like Esau and Jacob. Don't get caught up with whatever it is that's holding you back. Give that same forgiveness that you received. Give that same forgiveness that Jesus gave you when he went to the cross. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us at some point have probably done one of them seven things that are detestable. Maybe not yet this morning, but before the day's out, you go, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. That's okay. We're sinners. We all fall short. But, but God allows us to have that forgiveness. And, and if you're here today and you're saying, well, Pastor, that's my life. Man, I, I can't let go of it. I, I can't let go of what this person's done to me. Uh, I, 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 I've told them I forgive them. But man, they just need to stay out of my face. They just need to stay away from me. Some of us are living that life. Leave it here today. Leave it here. I'm going to tell you, after our final song, there's going to be prayer partners up here. And if you're that person who's spreading that discord within the family, whether it's your personal family, whether it's your work family, maybe it's your church family, and you feel, man, I need to get this off my chest, come up here. There'll be prayer partners up here. They will pray with you. They'll pray for you. Don't leave here with it today. Leave it here, give it to God, and move on. Break those chains and allow God to restore you. And if you're here saying, well, Pastor, I don't know this Jesus, so I don't really understand. Well, I want to let you know you're in good company. Like I said, we're all sinners. We all fall short of glory of God. If you're waiting to get it right, it's not going to happen because we're all sinners. Even those who are saved, we're still sinners. We still sin. Hopefully, our sin isn't what it used to be, but we're still sinners. But yet, God showed His love for you that yet, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And God's Word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's where it starts. Having Jesus be the Lord of your life, having Jesus be your master where everything you do, you rely on Him for it. Because let me tell you, a lot of you know, when we rely on ourselves, man, it gets messed up. And I want to tell you, if today's the day, you know, well, I'm not sure, that's okay. Like I said, there'll be prayer partners up here. If you've never accepted Jesus, come on up here. They'll talk with you. They'll pray with you. Uh, And you can become part of our messed up, jacked up family. And yeah, I say messed up, jacked up family, because guess what? Every one of us is messed up, every one of us is jacked up. But guess what? Every one of us is loved. We are loved by Jesus, and He's just waiting for every need to bow and every one to confess Jesus as Lord. Don't do it. Don't wait. God's Word says today is the day of salvation. Make your move today. And if you're stuck with dealing with some of this discord, like I said, let it go. Leave it here. And truly leave it here, not like Esau. Oh, I still love you, Brother Jacob. We're we're still family. But man, we're going to laugh when you get plummeted. We're going to gloat. We're going to even help them steal from you. And when you try and escape, we're going to push you back towards your enemy. That's not forgiveness. And some of us are living our life just like Esau's kinfolk. Let's live the life of Jacob and be a fire. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you continue to do in our lives. And and Lord, I, I know we sometimes act like the Esau clan. Lord, we've we, we got that unforgiveness or we've, we've got that pride issue inside of us. Lord, help us to remove that. Help us to remove the pride. Help us to remove that unforgiveness. And Lord, help us to turn to you. Because you are a God who restores. Lord, I ask that you restore us into that right relationship with you. Lord, that we will seek you in all that we do. And Lord, that, that as we go through this life, each and every day, our words and our actions will glorify you. And Lord, is any time that it doesn't, we ask that you provide that forgiveness for our shortcomings. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, my prayer is that they come and take those steps and accept you as their Lord. And Lord, that as you change them from the inside out, that all of us will make change in our homes, in our workplaces, in our total environments, and that we will always be willing to tell people about you and what you've done for us. And Lord, make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us here today at FBC Lantana for Church Online, and and, and if if you enjoyed what you saw today i'd just like to ask you to go ahead go to our website and and help support this ministry as we try and outreach and reach the lost for jesus christ you can just go to our website fbclantana.com give Um, and you can make an online donation right there. Again, I encourage you to get connected to a local church, and especially if during this message you felt compelled to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, definitely go tell somebody. Let someone know because that is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And and from there, get connected to a local church. Hey, we would love to provide you with some resources with that. You can go to our website, fbclantana.com, And on the very front page, you say, give my life to Jesus. Click on there. And at the bottom of there, there's some links and some good information for you. And just wanted to say, welcome to the family.